0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, a Facebook co-founder calls for the company to be broken up and something to look for during tomorrow's Uber IPO. But first, all eyes on China trade, none on China human rights. At 12.01 tomorrow morning, the U.S. is expected to impose new tariffs on around $200 billion worth of Chinese goods, as trade negotiations between the two countries appear to have broken down. But whether we get a deal or don't get a deal, there isn't expected to be any U.S. action on China's detention of between 1 million and 2 million of its own citizens, who it accuses of having terrorist tendencies. Now, these people are Ungers, an officially recognized ethnic minority in China that mostly practice Islam. China claims the detentions, which it initially denied even existed, are about preventing terrorism. But again, we are talking about well over one million people, and new reporting shows that they get swept up for activities that have nothing to do with terrorism and more to do with their ethnicity. And this gets done often via facial recognition technology. It's also hard to square China's claim that these are potential terrorists with its other claim that living in the camps is voluntary. Why would terrorists volunteer for what's essentially a re-education camp? And why wouldn't China forcibly detain someone who was actually a terrorist? Anyway, one reason this is happening is that the international community, both governments and corporations, have largely turned a blind eye to it. The U.S. has issued some statements of condemnation, but the younger's plight apparently hasn't come up at all in trade talks, which have been going on for over a year at the highest levels, with The Washington Post reporting that Treasury officials have basically prevented State Department officials from making it an issue. And we haven't yet seen any major companies pull out of China or even threaten to. In short, it's not that nobody in power cares, but it's certainly the case that nobody in power cares enough. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios World Editor Dave Lawler. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios World Editor Dave Lawler. So, Dave, the Chinese are detaining these people in what they call re-education camps. Do we have any sense of what these camps are actually like?
1: Yes. So the best understanding we have is that the intention is to replace uh, loyalty to Islam or to the Uyghur culture with loyalty to uh, the Communist Party and to Chinese national identity. So people are made to sing patriotic songs to sort of swear loyalty um, to the Communist Party. And um, China says they're also taught vocational skills and things like that. But Basically, um, from the Uyghur perspective, activists say the idea is to erase all sense of Uyghur identity and over the course of generations basically make it such that there's no such thing as Uyghurs. There's only, uh, you know, Chinese citizens.
0: And the Chinese also claim these are voluntary camps, correct?
1: They do. And that's uh, not the case. I mean, we, we have enough evidence now to say that there are people who are, uh, for seemingly arbitrary reasons, um, Picked up, interrogated, and in many cases uh, put in these camps.
0: You talk about the arbitrary reasons, and there was a Human Rights Watch report recently talking about how uh, police in the region of China where this is happening have been using basically an app to track almost every part of people's lives there, and they're actually using uh, something called Face++ uh, plus, plus technology to do it. So, so is this? I mean, so are people getting picked up in part because they maybe go to a mosque or even say have a conversation about Islam?
1: Exactly. So so they, people's lives are tracked on, you know, dozens of criteria. There's stuff, you know, they, they have information logged on people's cars, on who they're interacting with, even on how much electricity they're using. These, you know, kind of bizarre pieces of data and something will be triggered in the system. It could be a donation to a mosque is, is one uh, example that was out there um, you know, staying overnight at someone's place without clearing it with the authorities ahead of time, just things like that that don't have really anything to do with terrorism. These sort of things are tripping the system. And China says they're trying to wipe out extremism. Uh, But obviously activists say, you know, really what they're doing is is cutting down on any expression of Muslim identity or, or I don't even know. In some cases, it's unclear why exactly people were detained in the first place.
0: And Dave, you know, for for generations now, uh, at least since the Communist Party has been in charge in China, there have been tensions based on political beliefs, sometimes based on religious beliefs. But you write that that this has increased recently, particularly under Xi Jinping.
1: Yes, this has been. Um... A big push uh, for Xi Jinping, and also the surveillance um, in China has been stepped up on his watch. Uh, So people are being watched more closely. um, And, um, you know, these sort of detentions and things have certainly stepped up since he's been in office.
0: So explain to me, you know, this sort of thing normally kind of in in a typical environment would be the sort of thing that there'd be sanctions, at least from the from the West, there'd be sanctions about uh, corporations might be considering pulling out of the region. But you wrote over the weekend that neither of those seem to really be the case. We're getting a couple kind of relatively flaccid statements of condemnation and then that's it.
1: Right, and most countries aren't saying anything at all, which is kind of the amazing thing. So you had people like the prime minister of, of uh, Pakistan was asked about this, and he said, oh, I don't know anything about that. Meanwhile, Pakistan borders Xinjiang, the, the region where this is happening. You had um, you know, other leaders in the region uh, decline to speak out. Even the U.N. has sort of tiptoed around this issue. It's a pretty remarkable thing when you consider the scale of the abuses we're talking about. Over a million people held in essentially concentration camps um, and from the U.S. perspective, from the European perspective, you have had strong statements, but there's really been nothing to back those statements up. And there's been some reporting recently that that's intentional on the part of um, the U.S. at the moment. They're focused on trade. Um, they're focused on you know, security issues, and they're just not making human rights a priority in the relationship.
0: Right. And, and there was that piece in The Washington Post talking about how the the conflict internally in the U.S. government and the federal government is kind of between the State Department, which, want, which wants to do something, and Treasury, which wants to get its trade deal done. Do we have any sense if a trade deal gets done or, say, doesn't get done, does state actually get to do what it wants to do, or is it permanently on the back burner? So I,
1: I spoke with a, a former U.S. diplomat for this story who basically said um, every time you get in the room with China – there are several things that you're going to want to address before you turn to the Uyghur issue. It's just China is so big. Trading relationships are so massive. Diplomatic relationships are so important that this is never going to be issue number one in the relationship. So even if we get a trade deal, there's going to be other big existential issues between the United States and China. And unfortunately, it's hard to see how this issue will will ever become the top priority.
0: Uh, Final question for you. That part I get. I mean, it's fairly craven, but I get it. Why the UN? And and I even understand some of the corporate reasons why some companies, you mentioned in your story how the CEO of uh, Volkswagen, who has a factory there, said he didn't know this was happening, which is inconceivable. But why the UN? This would seem to be the place where the UN would step up. And as you say, they've tiptoed around it.
1: So I spoke with the China director uh, of Human Rights Watch about this, and and she said she was particularly, she found it particularly galling that the secretary general of the U.N. um, went to China recently, said he raised human rights in kind of a general way, but didn't specifically hone in on this issue. Um, China has a lot of influence in the U.N., uh, they're, they're, you know, flexing their muscles in international institutions more than ever before. I, I think you do have elements of the United Nations uh, that are worried about human rights that are probably taking this up in a meaningful way. But if it doesn't reach the top level where there's kind of the naming and shaming uh, from the people that matter, you know, China is, is essentially going to continue to see this influence peddling work.
0: Dave Lawler, editor of Axios World, thanks so much for joining us. My final two right after this axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics in our unique smart brevity format we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com and now back to the pro rata podcast Now it's time for my final two, and first up is a lengthy and fairly stunning op-ed in the New York Times today, written by Chris Hughes, who co-founded Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg while the two were still students at Harvard. In short, Hughes thinks the company has become too powerful and must be broken up, if not voluntarily, then by the federal government. Hughes, who left Facebook over a decade ago, says that Zuckerberg continues to be a, quote, good and kind person, but one who has far too much influence. Hughes also believes that the Facebook CEO's, quote, focus on growth valued clicks over security and blames himself and other early team members for not recognizing how the newsfeed algorithm could, quote, change our culture, influence elections, and empower nationalist leaders, end quote. The bottom line, Facebook gets plenty of criticism, but it hurts much, much more when it comes from a member of the founding family. And finally, Uber is expected to price its mega IPO tonight and begin trading tomorrow on the New York Stock Exchange. One big thing to watch for is optics. Most of the media video and photos will be from when Uber rings in the market bell. But big companies like this often like to do group shots and even sometimes executive interviews outside of the iconic exchange building. But I'm in New York today and there is talk of driver protests down on Wall Street tomorrow morning smaller than the driver strikes we discussed yesterday, but possibly still enough to embarrass Uber. So if you only see indoor images tomorrow, you'll know that a bunch of drivers did indeed show up. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Terrence Malingon, have a great national Lost Sock Memorial Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro ProRata Podcast.